the Mini Break, your game podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, July 24th. It is a busy week in the tennis world, so much so that I'm hoping to make it a two-mini-break podcast Monday for all of you listeners. Now, you may not hear the second edition of the show until Tuesday morning. Nevertheless, we're juggling 11 different events here on Monday. You've got the five that concluded in what was another exciting championship weekend on the WTA and ATP tours. Of course, if five events last week wasn't enough— We got six events happening this week on the tennis calendar, an ATP 500 in Hamburg, but three, uh, excuse me, two clay court events uh, this week on the men's side with the action in Hamburg, in Umag. You've got an ATP hard court event kicking off the North American summer in Atlanta. On the women's side, you've got Hamburg, Lausanne on the clay. Of course, you've got Warsaw on the hard courts, and that Warsaw event features world number one Iga Svantec. So, of course, it will have our attention this week. Here's the point. It's a busy week in the tennis world, and we know it's our job here at Crack Rackets to keep all of you tennis fans up to date on all of the latest happenings in the tennis world. Thus, again, I will try my absolute dandiest to make it a two-mini-break podcast Monday for all of you listeners, or at the very least, ensure that you have an early podcast available to you all Tuesday morning so that you can prepare for this jam-packed week on the calendar. But of course, here on this show, I'm going to recap everything that happened over the course of the past weekend. That, of course, means running through your three ATP events. It was arguably Some of the best tennis we've ever seen from Andre Rublev over the course of the past weekend. Impressive victories over Sarundalo, over Kasparu to earn the title in Bostad. I want to talk about how he wrapped up the week. Of course, you got to look at Adrian Manorino, the grass court. If it's not the GOAT, because... Obviously, when you have guys like Federer, Djokovic, Sampras on the surface, Manorino can't be the grass court goat, but can he be the grass court tiger? Can he be the grass court lion? All I know is he is very, very good on grass courts as Adrian Manorino earns his first title in Newport, knocking off the teenage sensation Alex Mickelson in the final. We'll put a final bow in that event. Talk about ATP title number one. For the 28-year-old Argentinian, Pedro Cachin, boy, was he exceptional in Stad throughout the course of the week. And in watching him grind down Albert Ramos Vinolas 7-5 in the third, I mean, talk about the litmus test. You want to win an ATP title on gra- uh, on clay courts, excuse me, you're probably going to have to go through at least one Ramos Vinolas type. And so, again, to see what Kashin did throughout the course of the week, starting early on with that RBA victory, plenty to talk about his run in Stad, and we can talk ARV, we can talk final thoughts on Medvedevic, the talented 20-year-old. Again, all the players who had themselves a week on the ATP Tour we'll get into here on today's show, of course. Who did I say the week was most important for? I said it was most important for Jung Chin Wen. And boy, did the 20-year-old deliver as she goes to Palermo. She wins her first tour-level title of her career, of course, for Jung Chin Wen. Plenty of points for her to defend down the home stretch of this season. But of course, more importantly, she was a player 
who many had circled as a potential breakthrough star here in 2023. And in a season that's seen plenty of breakthroughs on the WTA Tour. Now, we knew about Sabalenka. We knew about Rabakina coming into the season. But, you know, to see players like Mukova, Vondrusova, Kostyuk won a title earlier this season, obviously perhaps at a younger level. You've seen the Fruvertovas or Alinda Naskova, obviously Amira Andriva. A lot of young players have had breakthroughs here in 2023. Junction Wen's not a player you would put on that elite list. And yet, you know, again, in capturing her first career title and doing it in with three three-set victories and five match wins overall, and to do it more importantly, heading into, again, a hard court season where she has the weapons to be, uh, to accumulate elite success if she can maintain her rhythm, put all the pieces together. She put all the pieces together for the first time here this past week in Palermo. And so obviously I've got some even further thoughts on Chin Wen. And yes, of course, I have some thoughts on the luckiest loser out there, Maria Timofeeva, the 19-year-old becoming the first player born in 2003 to capture a WTA Tour-level title to beat Podoroska, Yuvan, Bandel, all in three sets in her final three matches in championship weekend. 19-year-old's got game, and I promised you all a breakdown. Today's the day. We're getting that breakdown on the WTA side of things of Maria Timofeeva. I like the game. I've got thoughts for all of you here on today's show, of course. Again, jam-packed intro indicative of the jam-packed week we have. And for what it's worth, for all of you listeners, I am also in Los Angeles this week. I should say in Santa Monica at the Tennis Channel studio. Such a thrill to be able to broadcast matches with my buddy Brett Connors producing and yeah, to be able to call matches on T2. It's the thrill of a lifetime. I think it's going to lead to better podcasting here this week because I'll be able to watch that much more of the action given all the monitors, all the action that happens at TC Studios. So I got updates again. We'll get into this six-week event on part two of today's two-part mini break Monday, but in part two, I should say. But this is part one. I want to recap the past week, allow us to perhaps feel more comfortable, get a clean slate. Heading into, again, an exciting six-week event, uh, six-event week on the pro tennis calendar. Of course, the reason we're able to do all of that is because you listeners tune in day in, day out, is because, of course, we get support from our friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. But that's a long enough intro. Let's talk past championship weekend here on today's show. And again, I'm going to start with Bostad to feature two top 10 players in a post-Wimbledon clay court 250. It's not something you see every day. And in fact, we saw the top four seeds in the Bostad draw all reach the semifinal round. And it was a fun championship weekend. Kasparud Ruud, three and five over Musetti. Andre Rublev, seven, six, six, seven, six, three over Francisco Sarundolo. Of course, Rublev had beaten Alex Zverev the round prior two and three. And then just the ultimate feather in the cap for Andre Rublev, seven, six, six, love. He knocks off Kasparud. I vacillate so frequently between positive and negative Rublev takes in my head. You all know the negative take. It's a joke I like to use at times here on our podcast. I think Rublev's destiny is to go one and two at ATP Tour Finals for the next five years. And 
Look, that's both a burden and a blessing. As you look for Andre Rublev, who, by the way, 58 and 23 now in his last 52 weeks, 39 and 14 overall this season. That 74% win percentage, obviously a top 10 number on the ATP Tour right now. That win total, 39, a top six number on the ATP Tour right now amongst top 50 players. You look for Andre Rublev, it's a second title for him on clay courts here this season. It's a fifth final for him overall on the year. And again, you look at the Tennis Abstract Stats leaderboard, which for what it's worth only measures top 50 players in the ATP rankings. But again, that 39 wins for Andre Rublev, that's fifth right now. Uh, excuse me, that's third right now on the ATP Tour Stats leaderboard. That, you know, again, five finals appearances for Andre Rublev overall on the season. That number ranks third behind Alcaraz and Medvedev. Even look at the points race. Rublev's fourth overall in the points race. And in a season that has been defined by the top three of Alcaraz, Djokovic, and yes, February, March, early April, and honestly, even in Rome, you have to say there was a three-month stretch where Medvedev was absolutely in the conversation right besides Alcaraz and Djokovic. You again, those are the three guys who are all over 5,000 points. No one else is over 3,500, let alone, you know, again, 4,000 or within 1,000 points of these guys. The biggest question, perhaps, in men's tennis throughout the course of the season, other, well, the biggest question has been Alcaraz versus Djokovic. But the biggest conversation point, maybe, in men's tennis this year is who's the fourth best player? right now in the world because the guys you thought it might be, right? Stefano Tsitsipas makes an Australian Open final, and for what it's worth, he is fifth in the points race right now. He's certainly a top eight player in the overall conversation and narrative, but has he been definitively better than a Yannick Sinner whose best has probably been the fourth best in the world, and yet he's been banged up in a way Andre Rublev just has not been. Andre Rublev I mentioned the record already. Look for Rublev this season, 39-14 and 14 overall. Yeah, that's the two titles. What, he's played 16 total events already on the season. He's been there week in, week out. He is a guy who right now, you look at the stats leaderboard, Andre Rublev, one of just eight guys to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. And who's that list, by the way? Because perhaps this will help us filter out who is the fourth best player in the world. Well, Djokovic, the only guy who ranks top 10 in both hold and break percentage. Alcaraz, Sinner, and then Karen Hatchinov, surprisingly, although he's made a couple of slam quarterfinals, semifinals this year, so maybe not that surprising. Hatchinov also top 15. Four guys in the top 20 club. Medvedev, Runa, Rude, Rublev. Hatchinov aside, those are probably the seven guys you would throw in the debate for who's the top four players in the world. Now, Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev, again, your clear-cut top three. But after that, Sinner, Runa, Andre Rublev, who, by the way, beat Holger Runa in that Monte Carlo Masters 1000 final back in April. You know, again, he doesn't, you know, made a quarterfinal, I guess, at Wimbledon, made a quarterfinal at the Australian Open as well. Both losses for Rublev in those two quarterfinal appearances this year at the majors to Novak Djokovic. I can't believe I'm saying, you know, again, my running joke 
is Andre Rublev is going to go 1-2 at ATP Tour Finals for the rest of his career. And there's two sides to that joke. Side number one, the glass half full, is I think Andre Rublev's a top eight guy. I mean, he has shown that. What, 2019, you know, he finishes in the in top 15 range, makes a round of 16 at the U.S. Open to end the year. But 2020 Tour Finals, 2021 Tour Finals, 2022 Tour Finals. And again, he's fourth in the points race net right now. Now, the gap between him and ninth place Taylor Fritz about 1,200 points with three Masters and a slam to go. So there's still plenty of time for him to be caught. But we're three slams into the year. We're two-thirds into the calendar. Andre Rublev is fourth right now in the in the points race. And, you know, again, do I think, you know, he just beat Kasparud on a clay court. So it's hard to say, would you pick Kasparud over him at a major? You probably still would. You know, again, why do I say he's destined to go one and two at these events? Because you look for Andre Rublev against top 20 opponents, even in particular over the past few seasons, you know, seven and eight in 2019, seven and six in 2020, nine and seven in 2021, eight and nine last year. For what it's worth, he's eight and six against top 20 opponents here this season. But you want to go past that. He went four and three against the top 10 in 2019, four and five against the top 10 in 2020, four and five against the top 10 in 2021, five and five against the top 10 in 2022, now four and three against the top 10 in 2023. He plays top 10 competition at 500, and he's done this for five years. So again, glass half full, glass half empty. You know who Andre Rublev is. You know what you're getting with the serve, with the forehand, how efficient he is as at repeating that pattern from start to finish in the match. How, yes, he gets angry at himself because he is so competitive, because he is such a perfectionist. But you also know you are going to get maximum effort for Andre Rublev on every point. And as limited as his backhand was to start his career, as forehand-centric as he still is, the backhand has significantly improved. He outplayed Kasparud backhand to backhand. Again, was up a break for the majority of the first set before seeding that break back to Kasper towards the end of set number one. But again, the cruise control he showed. His backhand down the line was the better down the line backhand. And that's what opened up the opportunities to hit so many different forehands with time for Andre Rublev. That backhand down the line won him the match. He executed it flawlessly. He was moving forward well. He's adapted. To, you know, he's not the most comfortable volleyer, but he's very comfortable on every forehand swing. And so what does he do moving forward now? He plays a lot of forehand swinging volleys. I like that tactical adjustment. Find something, even if it's a little funky, that makes you feel comfortable and helps you sustain and accentuates your aggression. I thought that's what Rublev found in that final. Again, he was lights out. He's apologetic, as only Andre Rublev could be in the trophy ceremony, saying, yeah, I know how well I played and you know, Kasper Ruud joking about it as well. It felt like every time Andre Rublev hit a winner, he was almost apologizing to Kasper Ruud throughout the course of the match. It was that good. And I think I've started to flip the narrative. So now we'll go full circle. Why do I keep bringing up the one and two thing at the tour finals? Because I'll tell you what, you make enough tour finals, you get enough bites at the apple. Eventually, just break your way. It's like the Marin Chilich theory, right? Of just Chilich was in enough quarterfinals in the right era enough times that he found himself in three. He found himself in three Slam finals, and ultimately, in one of them, was the lucky event where it wasn't a Federer or a Djokovic or a Nadal on the other side in that final. Of course, Chilich 
we don't have to relitigate the 2014 U.S. Open, how he got there, but it was Kane Ishikori. And, you know, on that day, in that moment, Chilich was there. Now, I don't think a, a Wawrinka comparison is right for Rublev because I think Rublev is honestly more consistent week in, week out, event in, event out, surface in, surface out than prime Wawrinka was. Now, Wawrinka's peak in his prime relative to the field might have been higher, and I know they both have extraordinary weapons. But I think career trajectory-wise, Rublev is more of a Ferrer, is more of a Chilich, and I think that's you know the two he'll vacillate between where it's just enough. You know, he's really good. You know exactly what you're getting from Andre Rublev. That that serve, that forehand, when he executes it well, he's just in the match at a minimum, regardless of who you are. To beat Zverev, Sarundalo, and Kasparud back to back to back, that's a really impressive run for Andre Rublev. And, you know, again, I'm not going to relitigate every title he's played in his career, but you look for Andre Rublev now overall in his career at the tour level. He now has made 26 different, uh, 26, 24 different finals. If you include the next-gen finals and ATP Cup, he's now won 15 different titles. If you include the ATP Cup, 14 if you want to exclude it. But again, he's a Masters champion who's made three different Masters finals. Clay, hard courts, grass courts. He's made finals on all three surfaces. Hasn't won a grass court title yet, but finals in Hala 2021, Hala 2023. He's he's looming in quarterfinals this year at Wimbledon, and we know Andre Rublev likes to play a full schedule. Again, mathematically, the hold percentage, 84.3. That's actually the lowest it's been in four years. The break percentage, 25.5, just... 0.8% above his career average, but it's something, you know, he's, it's something to persistence. And again, I, I, that was the best match. I, it's just the totality of things. He continues to improve on the margins and he's, he's a percent away, right? He's been 2% away from the rest of the field, maybe bigger than that, but you get the expression I'm saying for the pat. you know, he's going to make a fourth straight tour finals this year. I challenge any of you listeners, find me the list of guys who have made four straight tour finals. It's not going to be the longest list. Rublev doesn't turn 26 till October. You feel like, again, maybe he hasn't peaked quite yet. And given his game style, you felt like he might have. Maybe not. Maybe we were. Maybe I was wrong. I don't want to prescribe my thoughts on anyone else. But anyways, that's enough on Andre Rublev, who just has me thinking with all these results he continues to put together. Just has me thinking about where he goes moving forward because, again, he is the definition of Tier 2, right? Like, always in the mix. Maybe you don't love him against the best of the best. and But then again, you look at those top 10 records. He's been pretty 500 against top 10 players for five years now? Like, I don't know. I'm going to have to do some thoughtful prayer, some reflections on Andre Rublev moving forward on the other side for Kasparu. Look, it was a good final appearance. He played really well against Musetti. He played really well against Shevchenko in round two. And for a guy who had struggled throughout the early portions of the calendar, Rublev, you know, Rude, excuse me now, 26 and 14 overall in the year, still four in the rankings, eighth in the points race, up 315 points on ninth place Taylor Fritz. That's not a big margin, but again, it was three needed wins. Like, I mean, to do the math, three divided by 26, pretty much a ninth of his wins came this past week in Bostad. You get another final under your belt. 
you get your sea legs back under you again. It was just his second tournament since the end of Roland Garros. You play two tournaments in six weeks. You make a final in one of them. I think Kasparud's feeling pretty good. And by the way, we'll see him again this week at the ATP 500 in Hamburg. Um, so, yeah, I, I think for Rude, you come off the week feeling pretty good. Of course, for your semifinalist, Lorenzo Musetti, Francisco Sarundolo. You know, again, Musetti's 18 in the rankings. Sarundolo's 21 in the rankings. Those guys aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Musetti's 21. Sarundolo turns 25 at the end of this year. I mean, again, for Sarundolo, it's the confidence he now has in himself. It's the patience he now plays with as well. Doesn't need to blast every forehand. He knows the opportunity will be there if you do leave something for him on the forehand side for him to have time to set his feet with. But again, you got to credit Andre Ruiz. I mean, that was just... That was really good tennis. It was first strike. It was first swing. First serves were so critical. Again, Rublev moves sneaky well, but Serrano is just damn good. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Nothing's been a fluke. Did his Miami semifinal run a couple of years ago come maybe before everything else clicked? That's one way of looking at it. Or you look at that as the catalyst, the moment where he started to believe, started to see all the dominoes fall into place. And again, he's been killing it ever since. So a shout out to Francisco Sarandolo, shout out to Lorenzo Muschetti. And it was a really fun event in Bostad. Again, four top 25 players all in the semifinals. That's why they get the 15 minute opening monologue. That is what happened this past week in Bostad. I promise to move more quickly through the rest of our events. Otherwise we'll be here for six hours and it will not ultimately be a two-part mini break Monday. I feel like we broke everything down. I mean, what's new to say about Adrian Manorino? I don't know how a racket that's so clearly strung in the loosest way possible. I don't know how he guides the ball in court as in the court as beautifully as he does. But to quote the song, look at the flick of the wrist. I mean, if Adrian Manorino wants to put a ball somewhere on a grass court, goddamn, that ball is going exactly in that location. He, you know, drops one set, a set he was up 5-2 in, drops one set all week long. Straight set wins over Umber, Mickelson 2-4 and four, uh, in in the semifinals and finals this past weekend. And, you know, again, it's a second—it's, uh, excuse me, another title for Manorino. You look for him now at the ATP Tour level, Manorino uh, earning his third career title. He's now won titles in back-to-back seasons. It's his second career title on grass courts. And, by the way, he's made 13 finals in his career, five of those 13 are on grass courts. Yeah, I mean, two grass court finals in a single season. Who's done that? Djokovic, Murray, Berrettini, like over the past five years. Alcaraz, obviously, this year winning Queens and Wimbledon. I didn't forget. The list is small. And so, again, I, I even to make two finals. Um, I know he didn't win Mallorca, but Adrian Manorino now with this title run, uh, he's all the way back up to twenty seven in the live rankings, 35 years old. He is the second oldest player inside the top 30 right now. Obviously, Djokovic at 36 is number one. Manorino is at 27. He's number two. You look in the top 50 overall, Djokovic is older than him. RBA is older than him. Andy Murray and Richard Gasquet are older than him. Fifth oldest guy in the top 50. He's 27 in the world. And God, did he look the part. I mean, again, just was unfazed by the weapons of Mickelson, who in reaching his first ATP Tour final, by the way, Alex Mickelson all the way up to number 133 here on Monday in the live rankings, playing the Atlanta main draw. 
I'm sorry, Georgia fans. I don't think we're seeing Alex Mickelson play any college tennis. His weapons are that good. As explosive as the serve, the forehand, his feel moving forward is. It's how solid the backhand is combined with it. How nice the feel. He just finds angles on top of the speed. Mickelson's the real deal. And I look forward to monitoring his progress throughout the rest of this final third of the season. And again, I just... You make an ATP Tour final, you win a challenger title, you're going to get a main draw wild card into the U.S. Open. I think the money will be there. And as much as I love Jamie Hunt, Manny Diaz, and all things offered at the University of Georgia via college tennis, I just, he's ready. (laughs) It's that simple. And it's his choice, but the game is there. And if we can all see it, you imagine Mickelson sees it as well. That said, we'd love to see him in college. Don't think it's going to be the case. Mickelson through to his first final. We mentioned it, Hugo Humbert in his first semifinal in about two years. He has just steadied the ship as the Frenchman now all the way up uh, to number 40 in the live rankings. 25 years old, you're 40 in the world. You can play every event you want. Back where he belongs. Too explosive is the lefty. Uh, no disrespect to players at the challenger level. I just His weapons belong at the tour level. Uh, and then Isner. Credit to Isner. Doesn't play a lot anymore, but on this surface, on North American soil, He's still John freaking Isner. He's through to a semi. Of course, we have the John Isner Open this week, a.k.a. Atlanta. Still, John Isner, what, 38 years old now? I don't know how much longer we're going to see of Isner. And right now, Isner currently sitting where? 113 in the live rankings. Is he the oldest player in the top 113? Fun fact. I mean, that's a weird range, but obviously that's where. Let's see. Stan is 38 and three months. Isner's 38 and two months. So, no, Stan's still out there, so he can't retire yet. You can't retire until you're the oldest player on tour. That's the rule we're instituting here today. Uh, so, Isner outside the top 100, but again, into a semifinal in Newport, special exemption into Atlanta, where he will face Dom Kofer in round number one. That's your report on Newport. Last but certainly not least on the men's side, let's head over to Stad, where we saw Pedro Cashin, again, the 28-year-old Argentinian, capture the first tour-level title of his career. First tour-level title in his first tour-level final is Pedro Cashin. Straight sets 3-1 and one over the 20-year-old Serbian Hamad Medjedovic in the semis, then 3-6, 6-love, 7-5 over Ramos Vinolas in the final. You look for catching with the result. He's up all the way to a new career high, number 48 in the live rankings, 28 years old. There was a fantastic article written, I believe, on the ATP website about how during times in COVID when he was outside the top 300, just with the lack of playing opportunities, with the pandemic slowing everything down, he wasn't certain he was going to be able to have the opportunity to get back out there, get back playing on tour. But guess what he has? And now he's an ATP tour champion. And now he's a top 50 player. And now he's probably not leaving the top 100 for at least another year because you look for him 35 and 32 now in his last 52 weeks, 25 and 22 overall here this season, but has an ATP title to go around with a Madrid Masters round of 16 to go with a Madrid Challenger final. He won a first round match at Roland Garros. There's enough pockets of points not only accumulated but with what we have left on the calendar that, again, the 28-year-old, at a minimum, he's cashing four more main draw checks at Grand Slams. And ain't that what it's all about, ultimately? You look for cashing in his career. He's played five main draws at the Slams. That total is going to double by winning an ATP Tour title. You're playing the next four Slams, my friend. 
barring a disaster. And so, yeah, I mean, you're Pedro Cashin, you're top, 48 in the, uh, top 50 in the world now. I mean, he's just rock solid. That ability to take the ball early on the rise, move forward. Do I think he has an elite weapon? No, but he doesn't have a, a, a distinctive vulnerability either. And again, it was the physicality he displayed against Munar in the quarters, against RBA in the round of 16, certainly against Ramos Vinolas in the finals. Strong. Just again, rock solid everywhere. I don't know if I see top 20. In his future, I, again, I think he hits his spots well on the serve. I do think on a faster surface, maybe his ball, he just doesn't have quite as much time to explode into his ball, which is a little heavier uh, and I think is accentuated on the clay. But man, I mean, again, you look for Pedro Cashin. He is also, let's see, in his career, what, what do we have for Pedro Cashin in terms of finals? Where have they happened? Yeah, that's hilarious. He's made 37 finals in his career uh, across levels. They've all come on clay. So, yeah, case dismissed. But again, top 50 in the world, you're going to have the opportunity to play all the big events on the hard courts, test yourself. Uh, it's a good final for Cashin. And again, I thought a good week for Ramos Vinolas, who in reaching the final, he now is into a final for what? A third straight season in six of at least the last seven. He's made a final in every season. 2016 to 2023, he made a final in all years, but the COVID shortened 2020. So we'll excuse that and say he's made a final pretty much in every career, every year of his prime in his career. And again, this guy is 35 years old, you know, 79 coming into the week with his result. Ramos Vinolas, uh, excuse me, now back up to number 79 in the world with his result. I actually think he was up to number 65 in the live rankings, but he had a big uh, week last year this time. And so he saw some points come off the board uh, again. Nevertheless, Ramos Vinales is just such a tough out. Uh, yeah, he made semis of Stad last year and semis of Kitzbühel back-to-back. So he had some significant points come off his resume. That's why he didn't see a big ranking jump after making the final. Still, you know what you're going to get from the left? He's going to just roll you inch by inch over and over with the forehand until he has the opportunity to either A, step into an uh, down-the-line forehand, B, step into an inside-out forehand if you challenge him but with not enough pace. He's a litmus test sort of guy, and catch him, got him. So again, credit to Pedro Cash and the 28-year-old Argentinian. First pro title of his career. Those are your men's events on the week. Let's go over to the women's side of things. And I feel like I kind of gave you the junction when spiel in the introduction, so I'm not going to repeat myself too heavily here as we recap this Palermo event. But look, it's a massive week for Chin Wen, who again, had dealt with so many different injuries here throughout the course of the season. And now, you know, still with the results, you look for Chin Wen and, you know, what she's able to accomplish in earning this result. It's just, it's what, it it, it just makes sense that the 20-year-old now has a title. And I got to give a shout out, of course, uh, to my dear friend, who I don't know, but one of my favorite Twitter accounts to follow, I would say, in all the tennis Twitter universe, and I apologize, I'm going to butcher his first name again, but Juan Ignacio, uh, who pointed out the year-by-year breakdown of players born 2000 or later to win titles, and just listen to this list 
in the 2000s, players who have won WTA titles, Andrescu, Yastrzemska, and Lee, Alicia Parks. The 01 group, Sviantek, who, by the way, already has 14 titles. She's born in 2001. That's nuts. What have you done since 2001? You haven't won 14 WTA Tour titles. Um, Anisimova, Potapova both have two. Danilovich, Osorio each have one. The 2002s, Fernandez, Tossin, Kostyuk, Radakanu, and Jung Chin Wen. That's a hell of a group, O2s. You you know who else is an O2? Nicholas Gruskin. I mean, good year, 2002. Uh, for what it's worth. I'm just saying. Like, that is a strong group. Um, anyways, Jung Chin Wen belongs in that group, truth be told. And by the way, Timo Fiva wins the first as an O3. We'll get to that in a second. Goff has won one as an O4. Fruvertova as an O5. And you feel like Andreva as an O6 might happen at some point in the near future, maybe even this week. Again, Jung Chin Wen just belongs on that list. You look at what Chin Wen has accomplished. Obviously, the only player to win a set off of Sviantek at the 2022 French Open. You know, when she reached semifinals in Abu Dhabi earlier this season it, and beats Kasatkina, beats Ostapenko in the month of February, it just felt like, all right, this is the Chin Wen we expected. Here we go. We're rocking and rolling into 2023, but obviously suffered a bunch of injuries. Wasn't able to play Indian Wells and, you know, again, struggled with her level, ultimately bringing on, who is it? It's Wim Facet, I believe, into her coaching booth. Makes a quarterfinal in Rome, but... You know, second round loss at Roland Garros, doesn't win a match on the grass courts this year. Just needed something to get the year going. Again, she's 22 and 13 overall, but was 18 and 13 coming into the weekend. To get three set wins over Paulini, Sharif, Diane Perry, to, you know, have a match, two matches against Navarro, against Irani, where that first serve, which of course, Fortune wins. She's top 10 in hold percentage amongst top 50 players this season to not be broken in two matches on the week on clay courts. And then, you know, Chinwen only made, she made less than 50% of her first serves against Meyer Sharif, against Jasmine Paulini. She still gets through both matches, 6-1 in the third. And, you know, again, to play a three-hour semifinal, the grind against that is Meyer Sharif and come back from that and play a two-hour, 14-minute final takes gumption. Takes guts, takes physicality. Obviously, the clay court ball's a little bit slower, so she has a little bit more time to get into that big forehand backswing. Her serve is going to be fast on every surface. In a way, most of her opponents will not. But again, it's just the confidence boost for Jung Chin Wen. It's just a, a welcome back sort of moment to this discussion, to this part of the conversation. Again, it's a first tour level title. You look for Chin Wen, she's up to number 24 now in the live rankings. Just back where she belongs, back in the mix. And, you know, again, it was a really good week for Jasmine Paolini, who, by the way, with this result, also now finds herself back in the top 50, 27 years old, number 48 in the live rankings. It's a good place to be. And, you know, you look for Jasmine Paolini and reaching the final this past week. It's her, what, fourth, fifth tour-level final, uh, third final overall on the season. Her weapons are real. I thought Paulini played a, a really, really solid match in the semifinals to grind down Cerebez Tormo in that first set and then ultimately pull away with her weapons in the second. Again, for uh, for Meyer Sharif, uh, maybe the player, the, I don't want to say the most underrated player, but the least discussed top 30 player maybe ever. Like 27 years old, she's 30 in the live rankings right now. Meyer Sharif, 30 
in the live rankings. Highest ranked player with college tennis ties in the WTA singles rankings. She just works and grinds and scratches and claws. and She's a really good player. So again, a shout out to Meyer Sharif. I thought she was... I thought she was excellent. This, the physicality is just real. And so, again, it was a really fun event in Palermo. It was exactly the result, I think. I think it was the best possible result for the rest of the season in Junction when getting this title and getting the big mo and some confidence heading into, obviously, a massive stretch of events. I do think, again, best possible thing that could have happened. And so we look forward to seeing Chin Wen begin her North American hardcourt stretch perhaps next week. But with that said, last, certainly not least, let's talk Budapest. Let's talk Maria Timofeeva, the lucky loser, 19-year-old, four three-set main draw victories, wins over Seville, Yuvan Paderowska, Bandel, of course, a one-in-one win over the big-hitting Diana Schneider as well. I know this is a sophomoric description, and you're going to say, Alex, really? This is what you're giving us? She's just really good at everything. Like, just, I don't know if there's a definitive strength. I think she has good, not great power. I think she's a good mover. Not elite, but very good. Far more than just competent. The backhand backswing is condensed. The forehand explosive, heavy when it needs to be, but she can flatten it out when she has to. She's just really freaking good. And, you know, 38 and 21 now overall in her last 52 weeks, 28 and 14 here this season. You look in her career prior to this week, it had been all 60Ks, 25Ks, 15Ks. You know, I think she played her first 100K in Dubai at the end of last season. No, she played a Carl's Rule 125 as a wild card in May of 2022. But, like, okay. She played her second 100K of her career in December of last season. The 19-year-old is now a tour-level champion. And you look for Timofeeva, obviously, up to number 127 in the live rankings, a new career high as a result. I mean, the physicality. Again, she just never she, – she, you had to play your best to beat her. You needed to, again, keep swinging definitively or be able to sustain her physicality. Because if you didn't have an overwhelming weapon, you just weren't hurting her. Again, I was so impressed with what I saw from Maria Timofeeva. Timofeeva, first title of her career, obviously becomes a player. You just have to watch moving forward. And, you know, after winning the title, obviously the 19-year-old going to take the special exemption into this week's Hamburg event where she drew seventh seed Aranxa Roos in round number one. Look, credit to Katarina Baindel in reaching the final Bandel up to a new, uh, not a new career high, excuse me, but back up in the top 100 and, you know, back up to number what? I believe 77 as a result. Now she'll drop a bunch of spots this week with points coming off of her resume. But again, for Bandel, it's another tour level final for Podoroska. Claire Liu, your other semifinalist, Podoroska back up to 66 in the rankings. Claire Liu currently sitting at 76. Again, both of them going to, get into most of the events that they want to play the remainder of the season with those respective rankings. Budapest is was more along the 250 speed where you have some young players standing out, some funky results here or there. I think Palermo, you know, Palermo, another one of those examples, Newport with the Mickelson run, Stad with Kashin. 
That's why Bo Stad got the 15-minute intro, because to see four top 25 players and two top 10 players slug it out on this week of all weeks, it was a little bit surprising. Nevertheless, those were your five events in I don't know where that accent came from, but that's where things stand heading into another jam-packed week. And unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you want to view it, I got a couple of podcasts still to record tonight. John J. Parsons is going to join me for our summer editions of The Deciding Point to talk about how all the players with college tennis ties fared in the uh, in, on the Pro Tour this past week. Of course, uh, I'm also hopefully going to record our final episode, episode 10, review of the Netflix docuseries Breakpoint with Gil Gross tonight. Hopefully, I'll also have time for a third podcast a part two of these monday mini breaks so i can set the scene for this week six tournaments in action i'm here at tennis channel studios calling some of it so yeah i got thoughts i want to set the scene prepare all of you listeners for another jam-packed week if that's not out by later tonight it's because i recorded too late in our super producer daniel westoff who has a of an editing job to do day in day out as always he fell asleep Again, I'm on Pacific time. He's on Eastern. So if he doesn't post it tonight, it will be posted for all of you no later than tomorrow morning. A shout out to Westoff for the job he does. A shout out, as always, as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products. With all of that said, though, for the fantastic Daniel Westoff, our super producer, for our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. Talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.